One of the ways that we can sort of address that will move the field further is to look at the way, potentially different ways that older people seek information relative to younger people. Perhaps our field so far is predominantly shaped by the way we think about younger people's information seeking, or children's or kids' babies' way to think about curiosity or information. But that might let the field to miss some important aspect of curiosity and information seeking that is shared by primarily older people, but also important aspects of curiosity. This is Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come, choose to be curious with us. If I told you there was one little thing you could do that would help you maintain cognitive functioning, mental health, and physical health as you age, would you want to know more? Yeah, I thought so. That's what's coming. But first, I want to talk about Eleanor Roosevelt. Mrs. Roosevelt, wife of our 32nd president, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and the longest serving first lady in our history, is known for her many causes and pursuits, especially in human rights. She was a controversial first lady because she was outspoken, particularly about civil rights. She was the first presidential spouse to hold regular press conferences, write a daily newspaper column, write a monthly magazine column, host a weekly radio show, and speak at a national party convention. I imagine if she were with us today, she'd be an avid blogger and podcaster. It was in those weekly columns and broadcasts that she showed her colors as a true champion of curiosity as well. One of the very first curiosity quotes I came across when I got interested in this whole topic was from her. She wrote, I think at a child's birth, if a mother could ask a fairy godmother to endow it with the most useful gift, that gift should be curiosity. She wished for curiosity is at a child's birth, but she also understood the lifelong importance of that gift. She wrote in 1961, the year before her own death, Life was meant to be lived, and curiosity must be kept alive. One must never, for whatever reason, turn his back on life. Research has proven her right. Back to that one little thing that improves cognitive functioning, mental health, and physical health in older age. No surprise, it's curiosity. But interestingly, or disappointingly, depending on how you think about it, not a lot of people have been looking at curiosity as we age. Until now. Enter Michiko Sakaki. Michiko is the principal investigator at the Affect and Learning Science Lab at the Hector Research Institute of Education, Sciences, and Psychology at the University of Tübingen in Germany. She and her team look at emotions and learning, aging and emotion, and individual differences in brain development. They think about learning across the lifespan. With aging, we often focus on negative aspects, declines in that physical health and vitality, cognitive abilities, or social connection. But research suggests there are adaptive effects in aging as well. 
Michiko and her team are looking at those possibilities. Among other things, they've completed a review of no fewer than 225 studies from a really broad array of neuroscientific and psychological research on curiosity and related concepts, and have come away with some encouraging news. But I'll let Michiko tell us more about that. I'm delighted to have Michiko Sakaki with me today from Germany. So welcome, Michiko. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a real pleasure. When most of us think about education and learning, we think about children. But you take the long view. So what got you interested in curiosity and learning across the lifespan? Yeah, that's a very good question. I was originally trained as an educational psychologist, but then I received a postdoc training at the University of Southern California in the School of Gerontology, where I learned that aging not only brings something negative, but something positive. There, I worked with Professor Mara Mather, and she and I, we did a research about positivity effect in aging where people became to experience more positive emotions and focus more positive things as they age. In younger age, people tend to focus on something negative, while as we age, we sort of gain the ability to focus on something more positive and maintain well-being. So that was really eye-opening experience for me to really think about aging from a different perspective than the stereotypical view that aging is always depressing and something like declining, impairing, and so on. This is one of the things, one of the many things that I find exciting and interesting about your work, because I think first you sort of looked at aging and thought, oh, we're not seeing everything that's true here. And then you brought that insight to curiosity and said, wait, we're not seeing everything that's true here either. So take a moment, if you would, and explain maybe what the prevailing thinking about curiosity and aging is to give us some context for where your work has gone. So yes, when we looked at what people typically think about curiosity, one of the first words we get is kids, babies. And then one of the last thing we get is older people. There is a common sense view, I think, that curiosity is a gift for babies and children. But people don't really think about aging in relation to curiosity. So there is some research that supports some of that, right, in terms of reduced exploration or sensation seeking. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what are the kinds of things that get lumped into that idea that curiosity is reduced with aging? Yes. So older people seems to show slower scores in some of the personality traits that are conceptually related to curiosity, such as risk-seeking behaviors or sensation-seeking behavior where people are asked about whether they, are, they want to go to, I don't know, exciting opportunities, whether they want to seek risk, whether they want to experience something really different from usual. 
Mm -hmm. But you found that there are also other things that are true. And tell us about that, because this is where it gets interesting. Yes, so these findings that suggest so older people tend to show lower risk-seeking tendencies. They are often considered as evidence that aging impairs curiosity. But when we directly ask how curious they are, older people actually sometimes even show enhanced curiosity when they see something potentially curiosity-evoking, such as questions or objects that they are not really sure what they are. So to what do you attribute that? We don't really know yet. One potential explanation is that everyone thinks curiosity is associated with kids or children, babies. As a result, they might implicitly assume that they lose the ability to experience curiosity as they age. Mm. So when they answer certain questionnaires about curiosity, they may simply assume that it's not really about you anymore once they get age. See, this is interesting to me because then we have this, we have a, something of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? We've sort of internalized this idea that as we grow older, we're less curious. And so we simply think that's true. Yeah, I guess one thing I could say is that perhaps some of the items were not necessarily made for everyone. For example, one of the items I found is that at the amusement park, I like to go on to the most scary rides. Oh, sure. Um, this is an item used to assess the external stimulation or need, to, need for external stimulation. Or another item is that item used to assess sensation seeking is I would like to try parachute jumping. <laughs> okay, so that is, that's actually a good example of a survey instrument that has a kind of youth bias. Those aren't things that people beyond a certain age are likely to put on their list of activities. Exactly. Yeah. Amusement parks, maybe for more younger people. Uh-huh. Interesting. Very interesting. So you've written about curiosity as a proxy for adaptive aging. Explain adaptive aging, because I think this is actually a pretty exciting concept. Yes, so adaptive aging is a broad concept. We can define that in so many ways, but we use the term to describe not negative aspects of aging, but more positive aspects of aging in whatever domain people focus on. You mentioned earlier that well-being, physical health, and cognitive decline, all of them um, play an important role in adaptive aging. And can you give us an example, for instance, about what that looks like? So you brought up the example of Eleanor um, Roosevelt earlier. I think she's a nice example about how people can live aging adaptively. Mm -hmm. She stayed very much in the game, right? I mean, she life was to be lived right up to the very end, as she said. And she centered curiosity, didn't she? I mean, she really thought mm -hmm. about curiosity as a part of her life. 
Is that a good thing for people to do? I mean, is that a specific kind of role model? I think so. I think pretty much so. She's a very good role model for us to be really engaging throughout the life and successful and adaptive aging or adaptive life. You're listening to Choose to be Curious, a show all about curiosity. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and I'm joined today by Michiko Sakaki, who studies curiosity and aging. She and her team look at emotions and learning, aging and emotion, and individual differences in brain development. They think about learning across the lifespan. Do you think it makes a difference if people think of themselves as curious? If they sort of deny the 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 social construct around them, but sort of choose to think of themselves as curious. Do you think that has potential positive effect? I do think so. I don't have any scientific evidence to support it, but I do feel like if someone thinks that, oh, I'm, uh, I don't know, 45 years old, 46 years old, I'm kind of old enough not to be curious, then that could have an implication in the way they choose certain activities. And that might sort of have a larger implication on the way they think about it, they, the way they spend their life, they, the way they spend their days. So you mentioned that there's not research to support that. What, what kind of research might be done that would help get at that question. How would you, how would you get to that information in your line of work? What does that look like? The reason I asked, you raised some questions in your literature review about mm-hmm. the kinds of studies and questions that we should be thinking about next with this. Would you talk a little bit about where you think the study of curiosity and aging could go and what you think are the the big interesting questions as a researcher in this area? Oh, okay. So I think one of the way that we can sort of address that will move the field further is to look out the way potentially different ways that older people seek information relative to younger people. Perhaps our field so far is predominantly shaped by the way we think about younger people's information seeking, or children's or kids' babies' way to think about curiosity or information. But that might let the field to miss some important aspect of curiosity and information seeking, that it's shared by primarily older people, but also important aspects of curiosity. That's really interesting. It reminds me of something that Christy Johnson, who also works in the kind of neuroscience and and specifically in neurodivergent uh, work, gave me as kind of her working definition of curiosity, which was the way in which an individual excels in exploration, which gives you all sorts of different definitions of curiosity. And so you've brought that, I think, really interestingly to this idea that we haven't really thought creatively or 
assertively about what an aging version of curiosity might look like. That's fascinating. Do you have ideas about that? I mean, do you have things that you've observed, even if you can't say that you've studied it yet? <laughs> so um, my collaborators and I did a research project in London Science Museum, where we invited visitors of the, to the museum to our little activities. Oh, and fun. There we had adolescents and also some older people as well. And we tried to see how they sort of explore information and whether that is different depending on the age. And we found that younger people tend to sort of gather a diverse amount of information. So they, in contrast, older adults tend to have deeper information-seeking behaviors. So they try to stick with the same topic, but they, they gather more information about the same topic to develop the deeper knowledge. Younger people are opposite. They don't really stick with the same topic, but they rather sort of jump around the different topics and then gather information about bits and bits from different topics. And we also asked their curiosity, which wasn't really different. So everyone was engaged, but the way they explore information was just different. Fascinating. So that's interesting, and I can see the the connective threads with the work that you've also done on a process account of curiosity, not getting, and this really resonated for me, because I ask all sorts of people for their definition of curiosity, and I've had, I don't know, more than 200 of these conversations. I have more than 200 definitions, which suggests that we're not all thinking about the same thing at in the same way at the same time. But you say, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Let's just look and see what people do. Not what they say, not what we call it, but what people do. And I'm forgetting now how sort of the the intersection of curiosity and interest work in that. But that's one of the places where people make a distinction, right? Oh, that's not curiosity, that's interest. And maybe we associate interest more with adults and aging and curiosity with kids. Do you think that that's the case? You're nodding. I'm hoping that's... That's (laughs) that's typically what people think about curiosity and interest. Mm -hmm. Curiosity tends to be something novel, and the interest is often considered as something a little bit more prolonged. Uh So when someone has recurring curiosity for one topic people call it interest. So Mm -hmm. in that sense, our findings are consistent with the notion that interest is more with the older age, curiosity is more with younger adults. But if we think about they are very similar, then the findings, our findings suggest that it's not really the case that older people lose curiosity. They are simply curious for something slightly different from younger people. Yeah. Yeah. So of all of the work that you're doing right now, what do you find most exciting or hopeful? First of all, I'm excited that in some situations, older adults are even more curious than younger people, given that, as you said, curiosity can be an important aspect to support 
adaptive aging. So we try to identify, the next step for us is to identify when older people can experience Tonga curiosity than even younger people, and in what conditions that can be, um, they lose curiosity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so where is your research going next? We currently, we are going to start a series of studies where we try to understand these conditions, what to support older adults' curiosity, what to hinder older adults' curiosity. And do you have an hypothesis going into this? Yes, we do have a hypothesis. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Uh, One hypothesis we have is that as we age, we gain more knowledge. And according to our working model, Curiosity is pretty much driven by our prior knowledge. We tend to be curious about something we partially know about. Of course, we are not curious about something we completely master. But at the same time, as we gain knowledge, we tend to generate more questions about the topic. And this sort of self-generated questions are important triggers of curiosity. And if we think about aging as the process where we gain knowledge, we can also think that older people can generate more questions about the topic, everything. So that's sort of how we think about why older people could be more curious due to their expansive knowledge they have gained. I really like this idea of thinking of aging as the process of gaining knowledge. I think we think of aging as the process of the body's decline, (laughs) many people. But what an empowering idea to think that no, aging is almost by definition this process of learning more. That's a really wonderful reframe. Thank you. This has been actually a number of times confirmed in previous research. Older people, like you said, tend to show poorer performance in many cognitive tasks, like memory, attention, speed of processing, but they always show better vocabularies. They always show more knowledge. Yeah, yeah. That's lovely. That's lovely. That's a great place to pause for a moment, speaking of vocabulary and dipping into our well of knowledge. Are you game for joining me in my big jar of wannabe analogies? Yes. Okay. 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 So I have a literal big jar here. There are slips of paper in here. I'm going to take one for you, one for me, one for the audience. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever is on these slips of paper. Okay. Uh, Mine is starfish. Um, Yours is blanket. And then I have one for the audience. Would you like me to go first or do you want to give it a try? Go fast. Okay. Okay. Starfish. Um, hmm. How is curiosity like a starfish? Um, Well, uh, it's a real treat to find a starfish uh, at the beach or even, you know, swimming um, where you can see them. 
But the, the one thing that I really know about starfish is that they can regrow limbs when they lose them. And I think curiosity has that same sort of regenerative um, capacity. Um, it can it can help us rebuild in ways like a starfish. So I guess that's how curiosity is like a starfish. How is curiosity like a blanket? Let me think about it for a moment. Okay. So how curiosity is related to blanket? I guess blanket as the definition should warm you up a little bit. Uh-huh. And curiosity is the same. When we lack curiosity, we kind of lose the warmness of the life. Once we have curiosity, we can enjoy the life with a little bit more warmness and then also kind of helps you to enjoy the life better. That's lovely, lovely. Well, you've given us all these lovely ways of thinking about curiosity as this warming, empowering uh, thing. So thank you yes, so much. empowering is the right word. <laughs> it was your word in this whole conversation. That's lovely. Well, Michiko, thank you so much for this. This has really been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was lovely to talk to you. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Thank you for joining us here today. You can find this and all my shows on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me here, there, and on social media at Choose to be Curious. Whoops, I almost forgot. Audience, your analogy is snowboarding. How is curiosity like snowboarding? Let us know. Hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Michiko Sakaki. Links to her fascinating and frankly encouraging research on my website. Thanks too to Sean Ballack for our theme music. And this is Darn That Weasel by Love and Weasel via Blue Dot Sessions. I first learned of Michiko's work when she and I were both presenting to a curiosity conference in India. And I was immediately intrigued by the gentle way she was stirring the curiosity pot, letting the research speak for itself and reminding us, as Mrs. Roosevelt had, one must never, for whatever reason, turn their back on life. I hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, choose to be curious. After we finished recording, Michiko mentioned that the paper about her study in the museum is coming out soon. I was very excited about this. I'm looking forward to reading it, and I will share it as soon as it's available. <laughs>